This is Konzenshu, the podcast, episode 401 for the week of April 17th, 2016. What is up? Welcome back to Konzenshu, the podcast. Hey, an extension of the all encompassing Dragon Ball fan site, Konzenshu. Yeah, yeah, we cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening a little bit of the entertainment. It is the two folks that started the show. Been a while since we heard from you, uh, at least on the show here. I mean, I've talked to you, but it's Julian. you know I'm alive, yeah. Hey. Hey, buddy. What's up? Well, you know, work, kids. Did I mention my daughter's in kindergarten? Oh, my God. Yeah, it's so weird. Time has gotten away from us. I know. It's weird. You know the difference between being in preschool in Japan and in kindergarten in the U.S. And it's just a different feel. You know, I'm really enjoying being a part of my daughter's life. And of course, I have my son as well. He's going into preschool starting in the fall. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, growing up too. I know. But, uh, you know, between two kids, work, everything else, uh, I was just telling you, before before we started recording but yeah um there are nights when i'm pretty much out with the kids eight o'clock the konzenshu kitties are uh they're growing up fast but uh they take a toll on everyone so i'm trying to pick up the slack here oh i introduce you you're julian uh i'm yes. like fujito ex uh julian it seems like you've been very busy lately but in fact <laughs> we are putting up content that you may or may not have translated somewhere between two and three years ago Yes. The thing is, I haven't done a huge amount of long-form translation over the past year or so because of the aforementioned falling asleep at 8 o'clock. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, on the plus side, I have a huge um, backlog of stuff that we haven't put up that I did yeah. over the past few years. So we can throw that stuff up and talk about it. Yeah, yeah. So that's actually what we're going to do this episode. I know I've teased a couple topics both on the show and just kind of in general conversation on twitter those are still coming i have some great topics planned but in terms of right now we've been so focused on other site content that to ease back into the show after two weeks off um well let's talk about that site content because i think there's some good analysis to go along with the actual translations themselves like i always say the podcast is uh our chance to editorialize on the raw information that we provide there on the website so that's what we got on tap julian there's some uh db the anime special Mook. I always feel ridiculous calling it Mook. It's the worst. Yeah. Plus, I think, what is it? Mook in English is like the yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no name enemy bad guys that just get plowed through and nobody cares. Yeah, that's. I know that's one of uh, Jake's go-to words when he's doing translations yes. and describing things. I'm always confused. Like, wait, what are we talking about here? Okay, that's a character. That's a magazine. Of course, those would be Zakokyara in Japanese and we can talk about something else oh, with that. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, Mook Moving it back into something we can actually make a topic out of. Right. So DBZ anime special, uh, something from Psycho Jump uh, almost two years ago at this point. Yeah. Interviews, pre-Dragon Ball stuff. So there's some uh, really interesting material that we've been putting up on the site, again, that you had done uh, a few years ago, but it's good to get through that backlog. Before we talk about that site content, though, there uh, I'd say it's been relatively slow in terms of news. Again, Dragon Ball Super is always, that is the news, but a couple of little things i want to hit those real quick and then we'll get over to the site content stuffage so news 
Julian, yes. video games. I ask you questions about things, and you're like, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll figure it out, even though <laughs> I don't read Japanese like the rest of y'all do. Yes. You keep asking me how to get the cards in the new update of <laughs> Ultimate Mission, and I'm like, it doesn't say, Mike. Why don't you try beating the missions? <laughs> I keep hoping that the more I ask you, like maybe I'll find some other way to do it. You're like those kids who keep posting on the forum, does this say anything about Goku being galaxy buster and I'm like <laughs> it says that he's really strong and this is a transformation that comes after the other transformation you know? i know i know it, it's not they don't care about that sort of thing the people who make the guidebooks anyway julian two 3ds games have received updates recently extreme butoden in japan is up to is 1.4 update this added in even more Z assist characters. So Extreme Butoden got this in Japan and then internationally got its 1.1 update, although the 1.1 international update seems to be equivalent to roughly the 1.3 update in Japan, because that includes the online play, the survival mode, a whole bunch of Z assist characters from those prior Japanese updates, as well as two new Z assist characters that do not appear to yet be in the Japanese version of the updates, Ooh. if you can follow all of that. A little bit of a bonus there for making us wait. Yeah, so Murasaki is uh, a ZSS character, and then also a combination Goku and Gohan Kamehameha from the end of the Cell Game stuff. Um, those are two that seem right now to be exclusive to the international release. However, the Japanese website for Extreme Butoden says that one more patch is coming at some point, I believe in May. So I'm assuming we will see those and maybe even a couple others to kind of round out and equal out the two versions of that game. So, I, I mean, people have been hounding us every time I update with the Japanese uh, version screenshots and updates. Yeah. When is this coming? Has Bandai Namco forgotten about this game? Even I really thought yeah. they sent it out to die. It hit $15 on Amazon. It seemed like there was some fire sale stuff going on. But yeah, it, it got the the really big, important update with the online play and a whole bunch of the Z-Assist characters. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to see that. I'm glad they didn't totally abandon the game as we kind of thought they did. Yeah, it's nice to see. I mean, I don't own a 3DS or a new 3DS or a new new 3DS. Is that a thing? <laughs> no, it's just the one new. Oh, okay. But that said, it isn't always nice to see when they actually seem to show a little love to the fans out there who bought the game and have been waiting very, very patiently and bugging us. <laughs> I know. Like, why are you asking us? What are we going to know? I am sympathetic to people, though. Um, yeah, I put very little time into the American release of that game. It's like, well, the Japanese version has all this other stuff. I'm just going to keep playing that. Uh, all right, so that's enough Extreme Butoden news. I believe actually the same day, Ultimate Mission 2 received its 1.7 update on 3DS in Japan. That added in new stuff from the... Um, Julian, what, how would you describe... Is it the Ankoku Makai arc? I guess. It's sort of like the grab bag of all these other things that have been floating around. Things from Xenoverse, things from... Yeah. Online. Yeah. So putting together all of these odds and ends into a semi-coherent kind of... I wouldn't say story arc so much as series of missions, because that's what it is. Toa and Mira, and you have... Oh, what's his name? Big guy looks kind of like Ozoto. 
Demigras. Demigras. There we go. <laughs> Although he doesn't appear to be in uh, this patch here. Uh, yeah. We got Time Patrol Trunks, uh, the Kaioshin of Time, and then Mira and Toa here. But also, there was a QR code in the latest issue of Psycho Jump that I actually almost overlooked um, for another version of Bardock. And the um, for his super attack, the Kaioshin of Time comes down. I've only done it once so far. I just um, pulled this off last night. She comes down and seems to very similar, actually, to what Hit just did uh, in some <laughs> super episodes. Where is it? He like pot or almost like Zawarludo. Uh, he kind of like pauses time and unleashes this or flurry of attacks, and then time unpauses, and then all of a sudden they're hit with all the attacks all at once. Um, it's probably a card from some of the recent arcade missions, whatever. But uh, it's yeah. new to the 3DS game, so that was really cool to see. So my question for Julian has been, how do I get these other cards? Uh, I guess I just haven't played far enough into either, I don't know if it's the, the normal story mode or the arcade uh, missions in the game to actually get these other four characters. They're probably in there somewhere, but they do not seem to be immediately accessible to me. Um, as far as I know, there's no QR code to just get them all right off the bat, but I have the update patch, so they're in there somewhere. Oh, Julian, one other uh, thing. Let, let's wrap up with this. Tell us about this digest edition of the manga. It's actually going to start coming out pretty soon in Japan. Yeah, so it's kind of a surprise. It has been done with other series that are actually still ongoing in Japan, so it is actually kind of a nice fit since, you know, Dragon Ball is already ended, or at least the comic is these days. Anyway, the May 2016 issue of Psycho Jump, which was released back at the beginning of this month, announced that Dragon Ball would be getting a digest edition, which in Japanese is Soul Shuhen re-release, of the comics. So it's uh, they're touting it as being able to enjoy Dragon Ball the same way as when it was serialized in Jump, which I will point out right away. It's just not true because people who read it in the serialization had to wait week after week for new story <laughs> right. development. Right. But what they mean is that the volumes will be the same dimensions as the original Weekly Shonen Jump serialization, which is uh, Jis B5, which is 18.2 by 25.7 centimeters, uh, which is the size of uh, a lot of the guidebooks like the Dai Zenshu and Cho Zenshu mm, and yeah. that sort of thing. And it'll be roughly 400 to 500 pages each. And that'll give you a pretty sizable chunk of the series every volume. So um, other series have gotten similar treatment. There's the log collections for One Piece, which... Um, I remember right away because I was in Japan when they started coming out originally. Or Naruto also had a similar Uzumaki Daikon collection. Um, it's, a, it's a magazine format, so it's not on shelves forever, although some of them do get reprints after a certain amount of time. The paper's thinner than you might get with, uh, say, the Kanzenban, but it's nicer than Jump, more on par with other magazines like, say, Jump Square or well, not even Jump Square, more like V-Jump, a little gotcha. bit nicer. Uh, and um, it's got semi-glossy paper for the full color pages. Sometimes there are nice bonuses, although we really don't know for sure, uh, besides a couple of things which we'll get into in a minute. Now, interestingly, the article focuses on the chapters that appeared in color, of course, and it says that the volumes will reproduce the pages, that is, as when they ran in Jump. And it shows an image of the title page for Chapter 2, which although the ad itself is in black and white, includes all of the little, I don't know what you'd call it, like taglines or hype text. Yeah, yeah. All the extra stuff that the magazine puts in when it originally runs in the magazine, which were absent in the Kanzenban release, which is the main color printing that we have. So, you know, how far are they going to go with this apparent fidelity to 
the original jump serialization? Are they going to have like actual facsimiles of the pages as they were, like the title pages for, say, chapter 5, which was redrawn, or chapter 42, which was placed by uh, an unrelated illustration? Yeah, and what was the one that you and Heath kind of reconstructed? Was it one of those that you just mentioned? Um, let's see, we had to reconstruct the one for, what is it, chapter 12? That had, was that survey data or something like that? Yeah, well, there was, there was a poll to choose the fans' favorite of the first five chapters' title pages, which were all in color because of Torishima's uh, demand on Toriyama for that, which he complained about. Uh, and uh, basically, whichever one won, a uh, person would be chosen at random to get that particular one as like a, a larger reproduction. And uh, chapter three's title page one. But at any rate, uh, we'll be curious to see if they actually include some of those things that were in the original serialization, which were left out of subsequent collected releases. Uh, and, you know, as the completest that I am, maybe some of the errors that were corrected or little bonuses like contest information and that sort of thing. I'm not optimistic. I'm not going to hold my breath, but it would be nice. Yeah, I mean, uh, something that you wrote about in our 30th anniversary magazine. I'm pretty sure we've mentioned it here on the show. But Julian, one of the uh, very first changes in the manga from serialization to Tonkobon form, Gohan's age, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's lots of other little minor things. Like, I don't know what Toriyama was doing during the Muscle Tower arc, but he kept making, like, stupid mistakes about what floor people were on and what characters' names were. Was it the silver that he got wrong or uh, silver or white? It was General White that he kept calling General Silver. That's and then thought, yeah, yeah. he couldn't keep track of which floor people were on or what was going on. And That's great. Yeah. So that, that all got fixed up for the collected release, but it'd be nice right. to have that record outside of the original jump serialization. Yeah, that would be super cool, especially if they could do some footnotes at the end. Maybe hire an, uh, an esteemed Dragon Ball scholar to kind of go in and yeah. talk about some of that stuff. That'd be really that cool. Would, that would be cool. You know, they got Greg for One Piece. You know, I'm... Yeah. Not that I'm hinting at anything. I'm just saying it would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's wrap up the news, Julian. What's the release schedule? Okay. Here? So the first two volumes, Legend 1, the Dragon Ball Hunt arc, and Legend 2, the 21st Tenkai Chibudokai arc, will be released on May 13th, which is a Friday. Uh, and uh, they will each contain in their first printing uh, a special Dragon Ball Heroes card. Uh, volume 1 will have Son Goku, and Volume 2 will have Vegeta. Legend 3 will be released on May 27th, also a Friday. After that, uh, there will be one volume each on the second and fourth Friday of each month, until an unknown point, they don't really say. Uh, it could go all the way to the end of the series, since the series does have a defined endpoint, unlike, say, One Piece, which the log releases come in more fits and starts, depending on how far they've gotten. Uh, but anyway, Volume 1 will be uh, 500 yen plus tax and have uh, 398 pages, and uh, Volume 2 will be 600 yen plus tax and have uh, 512 pages, and it'll uh, be interesting to see where that'll be from then on in terms of the page counts and the price. So you're saying this is the kind of thing that if you want it, you really need to pre-order it and get it yeah, as soon as it comes out? It's, it's definitely more of a magazine type thing than okay. 
anything else. So uh, they might have reprints, but you never know with this sort of thing. It could be, you know, in a couple of months, it could be in a couple of years. Got That's it. the way so. it's been with the log collections for One Piece. So get it while you can. Yeah, last time I looked, which honestly I don't think has been in the last week, um, Shueisha's main book listing site doesn't have a listing for it up yet, and I haven't seen them on Amazon Japan either. Um, we'll definitely tweet out some kind of link when pre-orders, uh, when we see them out there. So just a heads up, this is the kind of thing. If you want it, you need to pre-order it. I'm usually not an advocate for pre-ordering, except when it comes to Japanese Dragon Ball merchandise. Seems like the kind of thing you really need to do. So that is the end of our news. Let's talk about some interview stuff. Yay! So, Julian, speaking of uh, magazine-style things that if you didn't get them when they came out, you're stuck with the second-hand market, yes. the Dragon Ball Z anime special MOOCs, magazine books, very similar to what we had as the Super Stark Guide, actually, this last year for Dragon Ball Super, where uh, it was a, a magazine that came out under Shueisha's branding, and if you didn't get it when it came out, well, it was only on shelves for that limited time. Exactly. And in fact, they're exactly the same size for the most part as that uh, Superstar Guide. So in particular, what we want to zero in on this podcast is two in particular that came out during actually fairly early on in the run of Dragon Ball Z. It really was. I mean, the, the first one there, they're they're talking about Vegeta and Nappa showing up <laughs> yes. in the TV series. So yeah, yeah. This is uh, 89 and 91 that these came out. Yes. So these are pre-Daizenshu. This is while the series is still going on. We had the Boken, the adventure special with the uh, original series. Um, these are kind of like the follow-ups to that and pre-Daizenshu. Pretty much. And the adventure special Special focused more on the comic uh, mm, yeah, as yeah. it was going on, which is in the middle of the Piccolo arc. But uh, these are focused specifically, as the title would suggest, on the TV show Dragon Ball Z. There's one other thing that came out in between these two anime specials, which focused uh, more on Toriyama's animated works in general in conjunction with the release of Dragon Ball Z Movie 3 and a couple of other yeah, animated yeah. things which are based on his other works. Akira Toriyama, The World. The World, Akira Toriyama. Akira, The World, Toriyama. Yes, pretty much. But we <laughs> won't get into that this time. Right, right. So these books, uh, we have some of the stuff up, and I think there's one or two more things that are already done being translated, and maybe one or two other things in addition to that that we've transcribed but haven't translated yet. Let's talk about what we have put up so far. Um, okay. Let's actually start here with the one that's about to go live on the site which is dragon call right yes this was from correct. the first dbz anime special uh, like we were talking about 1989 the cyan arc was just about to get uh going in the tv series okay so this is a column that you can find in the first dragon ball z anime special which was released back in 1989 and it's called dragon call and that sounds like a weird title doesn't it but uh, it makes more sense if you realize that they're making a play on uh, what's in Japanese called the Dabukoru, which is Waseiego, Japanese-English, for basically saying how much you like someone or something. Love, call, I don't know. It sounds like something you could easily misconstrue, but it's... Um, it's very innocent. Yes. Got it. So instead of love call, it's dragon ball, dragon call, whatever. Yes, and it's sort of both at the same time, really. Yes, we'll, we have a number of the production staff involved with the series. So you've got producers from uh, Fuji TV, you've got uh, people in the planning. So it starts off with Kenji Shimizu 
uh, and even Keizo Shichijo, which you don't see too much of as uh, Z progresses. He's mostly in the original Dragon Ball. So it's really interesting to see his uh, take on things. But And then you have people like Kozo Morishita, who is a real big wig at uh, Toei Animation these days. Um, isn't he someone that we just got in the, was that in the 80s, 90s Toei history book that I was just looking at? I believe so, actually. Yeah, yeah. So we'll probably have some more from him coming in the near future. And of course, you've got the uh, series composer and scriptwriter Takao Koyama, who we've talked about quite a bit previously. Mm. Um, he's really um, especially influential on the feel of the Z as it goes forward, and on the movies especially. Uh, Daisuke Nishio, who was uh, the series director towards the beginning of uh, Dragon Ball Z and um, directed a few of the movies as well. You've got uh, Minoru Maeda, who was the chief animator and character designer in the early series before his work was taken over by... Um, Katsuyoshi Nakatsuru was next. Yes, and also who's still working. He who shall not be named. <laughs> Yamamuro, yes. So, and, uh, and you also have Minoru Okazaki, who is an episode director and also active in the beginning of the series. And interestingly enough, we have Yuji Ikeda, a chief designer, as he's credited here, but he mostly does the, the art, the backgrounds. Yeah, that's a name that we do not see thrown around all that often in terms of interviews and columns, that kind of stuff. Yes. So just the fact that we have some, um, you know, more common staff people and also a few that don't really get much, I would not want to say screen time, but don't get much in the way of um, paragraphs devoted to them just because they were in relatively early on and in such a background position, you know? So I kind of want to pull out uh, a couple comments and get your take on them here. Maybe just one or two things from uh, a couple of the folks. Kozo Morishita says, with the Z, there are also new characters, and we're really putting an effort into depicting Gohan. So we made a lot of stories with Gohan, but it really is about Goku, isn't it? My own son also watches every week, so I learn a lot from that. And he laughs. But it's all about intense action with Goku. I think uh, even early on here, they were acknowledging this is going to be the Goku show, isn't it? Even though we've got other characters. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's nice that they wanted to give him... Uh, Gohan the spotlight, but, uh, you know, there's only so much that you can do with him in some ways. Although I'm sure reading that fans of the character will be gnashing their teeth. (laughs) I know, carries forward. Um, I want to get your thought on this as well from Koyama. He's got several things I want to talk about as we go through some of these interviews here. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically he kind of gets schooled on Toriyama comedic delivery, where he seems like he was really trying to almost oversell the jokes over a longer period of time. And with Toriyama, something I loved in Jocko was as recently as Jocko even was just the short dry to the point. That was the delivery. Did you get it? That was the joke. And we're moving on and we're already into the next joke now. Yeah. And he seemed like he really struggled with that. Yes. So he, he's the kind of person where, you know, one joke builds into the next and escalates. But with Dr. Slump, it's not like that. And with yeah. Dragon Ball, it's not like that. You know, you just let the laughs come and uh, let the jokes pay off on their own and not try to make them into one gigantic thing. Um, Maida says something really interesting here, and it carries over to the next anime special book. Even so, I couldn't draw Maid Jr. well. And as a result, he left an unexpectedly weak impression. I suppose the reason why Goku is easy to draw in contrast to that might be because I'm obsessed with how to express Goku's manliness. 
That is not a, an explanation I expected out of Maeda. But if I think back to that early Piccolo Jr., Ma Jr. stuff, he's got a real skinny neck, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, he does sort of... He doesn't quite look like the way he does in the comic. Yeah. And again, that's, you know, whoever's uh, in charge of doing the character designs has a, a way of shaping the way the character looks apart from the original work. And you see that a lot in particular with the later character designs, for example, with Yamamuro and the way he gives people brow ridges and yeah, almost yeah. this, even, even the happy looking characters have this sort of stern look that's not really mm -hmm. present in... Toriyama's illustrations. Uh, it's like Japanese Kirby versus American Kirby box art, where Kirby's always angry over here. And one thing that was pointed out on Twitter recently is the square mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they open them up. Right. Uh, in contrast to that, for example, Nakatsuru has a more happy-go-lucky feel to the faces, Definitely. but they have this distinctive round rounding of the eyes that uh, gives it away as his own work, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Every artist has their own style. Yeah, I just find it interesting how they bring out those differences. But, yeah, yeah. you know, their their job is to get it as close to the original as possible. So he's expressing some frustration here. Yeah, and that's something they talk about where they're looking at the comic and they're like, this is perfect. We, we just need to do this on screen. How do we do that? Um, yes. I want to read one more and then I'll, I'll let you expand on whatever else you want to do. Here. Oh, okay. Um, Ikeda talking about the, the backgrounds here. At the beginning, I aimed for backgrounds with a Chinese style transparency and also depth in accordance with Toriyama Sensei's wishes. However, they turned out more fairy tale style Chinese landscape paintings without much sense of dimension. I almost don't know how to parse that, but that's a great description of it. Yeah, like he wanted to have maybe a sense of the backgrounds going on. But the thing about landscape paintings is that they can sort of be a little flat mm. if you don't pull it off. And I think that's what he's trying to express there is that it didn't quite go the way he wanted. Maybe he wanted a little bit more of something that pulls you in, but instead he got something that was more like a watercolor yeah, yeah. static painting type thing. Definitely what I think of for uh, the early parts there. So what about this column um, grabbed you? Well, I thought it was funny in particular the way that um, Kenji Shimizu brings out Indiana Jones. Like he yeah, sets right his sight very high. <laughs> and of course, this is a topical reference because the third Indiana Jones movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, also known as the one with Sean Connery, came out just that summer. So people would have that on their minds already. Uh, but it's just funny that he brings out just the the breadth of the demographics that it reaches, which is uh, another hallmark of the series, that even though it's aimed squarely at young boys, it brings in lots of different people. But I just think, you know, he's really trying to sell it, just like his position at uh, Fuji TV would, I suppose, indicate for him, you know. It's his job to sell it, and he does that straight away. Um, and also Keizo Shichijo, who we don't really hear much of because he disappears from the show fairly early on, but um, I thought he really encapsulated his role fairly well with the first sentence is, to be a producer is to be a chef. How do I take the elements given to me and cook them up so the viewers will eat it up with relish? Yeah, yeah, that is really great. It's great insight to what he has to do there. And he goes on to talk about um, the sensibilities uh, of the uh, staff and in keeping with the world that the creator has made. 
and um, a little bit about his work and the characters and the events that had an effect on him. But just that opening statement really sort of gives you his point of view, I think, more than anything else in there. Well, let's move on to uh, kind of a follow-up to this in the 1991 DBZ Anime Special 2. This was the Super Anime Jin, or Super Anime People, I guess? Yeah, pretty much. Not not really a great way to describe it. It's like Jin, it's referring to these anime people who work on the show super animeans <laughs> if you say so julian uh we have a repeat with all of the same people shimizu nishio koyama morishita um maida but then we get masako nozawa and akira toriyama himself thrown into the mix so that's yes cool. and uh there were a few things that really stood out to me in this uh first of all the way that they hype up the fourth dragon ball z movie which doesn't have the greatest reputation <laughs> i know it's like it was the next well they were coming off of three i think people really love those first three movies and of course yes. you are a personal friend of mine if you enjoy dbz movie one but i also yes. enjoy movie two and i think movie three has some amazing atmosphere in it as well so coming off of those i think it was fair to be looking forward to what the next one was yes but also the fact that the fourth one actually did better financially than the first three, which is fair enough. You know, it was still on an upward trajectory, but they, yeah, they, through no credit of the movie itself, it was the pedigree of the prior stuff. Yes. It, it's just funny because at this point, people know who Super Saiyan is, even though they don't really detail it much in the book itself because yeah, yeah. the anime hasn't gotten there. But, you know, we, we know. And it's like, you called the movie Super Saiyan Son Goku. It wasn't in there. What are you doing? You know, but anyway. So some of the stuff here, uh, as I was reading through it the first time as I was porting it to the page here, I thought Koyama almost didn't answer the question. Uh, Morishita is saying, a cast as good as this is hard to come by. Even for a single role, they'll come in, same as a regular. It's really nice. Um, and Koyama just starts talking about, yeah, Chi-Chi's wedding was unexpected. It's like, what are you talking about? But then I realized what he's saying is, was it Naoko Watanabe still at that point? Playing uh, no, it was, it was Mayumi Not Show yet. at first. Mayumi Not Show yet. at first. Okay, yes. right. Um, so I guess what he's saying there is that, yeah, she came back. Yeah, I think that was the thing that he he doesn't actually say it out loud. Right, right. But I kind of had to read between the lines there. He was thinking along those lines. So it was like, oh, okay, that's what he means. He kind of maybe assumed at first that she would be like a one-off thing, and then she Mm, came back, and that sort of thing. Well, what's interesting there is they kept bringing her back in the TV series, even when she wasn't in the manga. Yes. And then suddenly, you know, she suddenly aged up, even though all the yeah, other yeah, times yeah. before that, she's still <laughs> in her first appearance outfit and everything. Right. Um, something I, I definitely want to point out is the uh, the alluding to future Kayo, even though we're nowhere near that point. Yes. It's it's just funny the way it comes out of the blue. Well, there must be other Kayo, right? Like, if he's the north one, then there must be south, east, and west, too. So do you think Toriyama, this is one of those questions we'll never know the answer to, do you think yes. this column right here, this Q&A, this interview, this roundtable, that was the impetus for, yes, maybe I will say that's a thing? Or was that naturally where he was going to end up anyway? Well, I think you have to look at it the other way. He's uh, searching for ideas later on, and... He thinks, oh, actually, we did have that conversation way back there once. Mm, yeah. Why don't I make that an actual thing? He, he constantly does that. And from the point of view of the fans, it's always, oh, you were planning this all along. 
and the actual reality is, uh, no, I just I just remembered that I'd said that, so I thought I'd expand on it. Something we definitely need to cite here. I believe this is the first instance of Toriyama praising the Bardock special, right? Pretty much, yeah. So he says that he actually cried. Yeah, this is something that he would say again and again several times. Uh, his Daisenshu 6 interview, and um, as recently as the 2011 special comments for the um, that special selection DVD that came out with the Bardock and Drunks TV specials, um, he talked about it there. He drew a Bardock sketch and said how much he loved it. This was prior to what he would eventually do with Dragon Ball Minus, where we were all like, well, you said you loved this so much. What? what Why did you just change everything here? But right. um, I, I think it's important to say, well, here was that first time. This is one of the things that Toriyama, up until Minus, like I said, was completely consistent about the way he described it. Yeah. So it, it's kind of an open mystery why he'd want to go changing that, except for the fact that, of course, he wouldn't draw that sort of thing. Right, right. He feels like he can do it, but I don't know. Like, we've had this conversation. Why would he feel like he could step on the toes of what had come, whatever? So we won't get into that now. Um, what else about this uh, roundtable did, uh, what grabbed you? Well, um, of course, there is the name origin for Kula, which reappears in others, other uh, guidebooks later on. Yeah, it's but this convoluted. is the conversation where it came from. So uh, it's uh, Takao Koyama, the scriptwriter of the movie 5, talking um, with uh, Kozo Morishita, the producer uh, from Toei Animation. And they're just talking about food. And they were, he had something in, uh, when he was in Kiryu, which is in Gunma Prefecture. And Kozo Morishita is from Shizuoka, and he says he remembers that sort of thing. So they get to talking about their native dialect. And for the way of saying, let's eat something or other, basically Koyama asked him if they said Kuzura, but he said, no, we say Kura. And then they just went with that, I guess. That's crazy because it's, it's such an obvious parallel to what they did with freezer into Frieza. Well, of course you do the same thing with cooler into Kula, but that's not really where it came from. It's just a happy coincidence that it came out that way. Yeah, it must have made a connection somewhere and they thought, oh, you know, we're looking for a name for this character. Let's, let's use that there too. Yeah, yeah. You know, getting into dialect, it was not the easiest thing to translate and get it. So I just left that part in with uh, Japanese and I tried to make the best sense of it I could in English. Yeah, they're like, it's not Kura, it's Kudashra. It's, or no, it's the other way. Sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> right, it's, uh, it is really tough to get across, but that's how it yes. is. And, um, Actually, um, the one, two other things that um, yeah. I want to point out is that Toriyama mentions that uh, if you change the hairstyle on Super Saiyan Goku, he becomes Vegeta because of that other way he has of drawing the eyes. And right, he, he's only got a couple ways. He mentions elsewhere that he was inspired by, I believe, Bruce Lee, mm. the way he glares at his Yeah, opponent. yeah. Um, but, of course, you know, he doesn't actually bring that out here. But uh, the last thing that I really want to point out is the way, in the last part, Toriyama says, Still, though, it's strange that even after doing so much Dragon Ball, I don't want to end it yet. Normally, I'm pretty fickle by nature. And, of course, he is. He talks constantly about how he doesn't want to do the stuff that he's doing. Um, but that is pretty much like a nail in the coffin of the idea that he didn't want to end it with the Frieza arc because this... Yeah, this is contemporary with that. Here's a quote of him saying he doesn't want to end it yet. Yep. <laughs> All right, then. Done. Ta-da. I don't remember. Do we have this in the room or the 
intended? I, I don't think so. I, I've mentioned it before, but since we've yeah. never had this on the site, it's not been the easiest thing to cite. Oh, okay. Cite. Well, let's do that. There you go. Out of sight, out of mind. Um, anyway. The only other thing I want to mention there is Nozawa talks about how she doesn't read ahead in the manga because she wants those emotions to be raw when she's voicing it for the first time. And then after she does that, she goes back and reads yes. what the stuff was. That's pretty cool. Like when, when somebody starts talking about future development, somebody has to go, no, 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 she hasn't said it yet. Well, Julian, we have a, a couple other things here. Um, I, I don't want to go into too much detail because... Um, you know, otherwise we could just talk for three hours here. But we have some new pre-Dragon Ball translations. Oh, yes. There's this Focus Magazine one, which is almost a, a backhanded profile on Toriyama, isn't it? Well, in some ways, it's it's the press, mind you. Yeah, and, uh, sure, sure. It's, they have to find an angle. And, you know, it's the, it, it was the 80s. It was, what, 1982? Two. Yeah, Japan's getting ready for a boom here. And... Yes, and well, and the, there was in the same magazine I was just reading, flipping through, and they had a profile of the first female astronaut, and it was like wondering aloud whether a woman astronaut would be able to be up to the job. And I thought, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was 81, 82, 82, 82, 82. It was 82. It was Japan. Yeah. It's the kind of stuff yeah. they're talking about. Um, yes. but they're like, yeah, this guy, he's, he's rich all of a sudden and he's not going to be able to live off Dr. Slump forever. I wonder what he'll be able to do. I mean, yes, to be fair, he was just a gag manga artist. He literally came out of nowhere with massive success here. It, it was a fair analysis of the time. Be like, who is this guy? And, is this going to last? It's just really hysterical to look in retrospect. And they're like, what What else is this guy going to produce? Like, no one had a clue that he was only just getting started. Yeah. So in retrospect, it's really funny. And of course, uh, all these other details about his wedding and the fact that he's, you know, gone from like a couple hundred dollars a month, basically, as his salary to you know, making millions. Right. <laughs> and how much the taxes were taken out. It was yeah. crazy. It's all these things that, you know, members of the press would obsess over. And it's the, it's the kind of magazine that it was. Sure. There's only one contemporary of the same magazine that I think that's still in print, which is called Friday. And it's very tabloidy and it's photo essays are accompanied by the kind of things that you'd find in the British tabloid, like The Sun, page three, and that sort of stuff. American listeners wouldn't know what that is. But anyway, if you're in the UK, you've just understood. So, and then um, kind of, I wanted to get that one up first, because then Toriyama's first major television interview, 1983, oh, yes. Tetsuko's Room. Julian, you translated this as well. Yes. Um, so we'll, have, we'll talk about one more thing after this, but just to briefly cover this, man, Toriyama on screen, 83. Not the best interview. No, he's um, awkward. <laughs> How do I television? Yes, he. you can tell he's not used to this. He doesn't really have a feel for how to present himself in front of an audience. He does his best to answer the questions, but, you know, you can really tell the interview is really trying to get it out of him. And he's just looking over his wife and probably inwardly thinking, how much longer is this going to be? When can it end? They start talking about the room and the set. <laughs> yes, well, she's, she's trying to put him in. She's trying so hard, I know. <laughs> yeah, but he's not that kind of person. Dead air. 
<laughs> she's she's just know, trying that, to fill the space. Yeah, that doesn't come across in in the text, but it really does feel that way. Um, yes. Anything about this that you want to pull up? And the reason I wanted to do the focus one first is um, this TV interview. They talk about his income and that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, well, just just the way that the press found out about his wedding is hilarious because they were paying attention to the annual earnings rankings that I forget what magazine did it. Mm-hmm. You know, he was number one in the category of other. And he was like 35th overall in Japan coming out of nowhere. Yeah. So right. every, the people who paid attention to that sort of celebrity gossip stood up and paid attention like, okay, who is this guy coming from out of nowhere to do this? And Toriyama being the unassuming fellow that he was, uh, it was the day before his wedding. He went to his door expecting the neighbor <laughs> stopping by to ask about his marriage. And, uh, oh, are you here about the wedding? And they went, he's getting married. And that was how the media descended on his wedding the next day. Oh, man. (laughs) Poor dude. He had no idea what was coming. I mean, and this is a a great... No, it really puts in context. Again, I, I like saying it puts in historical context. He just became a recluse. <laughs> like, I don't want to be on TV. I don't want to be interviewed. Don't show my face. Just stop talking to me. I'm going to go live in my house. Leave me alone. Exactly. This is where it began, pretty much. <laughs> he he does not take celebrity very well. But uh, these are very good reads. And again, we're not going to archive every single last pre-Dragon Ball. I mean... Over the course of the next several decades, maybe we will. That's not our intent. But these yeah. major milestones along the way, I really do think they're important to show you um, yeah. what that rise to Dragon Ball was going to be and was as it was happening. And really gives you a good understanding about the kind of guy he is and was and uh, how Dragon Ball came to be. Pretty much. Um, but as a parent, the one thing that really sticks out to me is talking about how he has all this stuff that his kids probably won't want to use because it'll mm-hmm. be old hat. Yep. And I remember I put on The Lion King for my kids. You know, this is a really cool movie that came out when I was a kid. And they're like, oh, this comes before The Lion Guard. And they're like, The Lion Guard? And apparently there's like a TV series on one of the Disney channels that's like a sequel. Oh, geez. Like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So for them, it's just a prequel. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'm old. <laughs> All right, Julian, let's talk about one last thing that we did. It's a four-panel comic. And um, as I was writing up the post for it, I found the uh, article we did outlining every single last other thing in the magazine except for this comic. Yes. (laughs) So it was at the front of the magazine, and I translated alongside everything else. But uh, We we mentioned it. We just didn't put up the translation. Yes. And uh, you you found some inspiration, and I guess because it was short, you decided to actually go ahead and scandalate it, which we don't normally do. Yeah, we don't do, but I mean, it's four panels. It's almost two years old at this point. It's the kind of thing, because Toriyama's drawing himself, I feel like looking back and forth at things, it just, it just worked this way, and we're not going to do a whole lot more of this, but, you know, we did this one time, and there you go. Yes. So this comic is an introduction to this issue of Psycho Jump. This was the uh, July 2014 issue of Psycho Jump. Looking over yes. at the shelf here, that was it was still monthly at that point. It only would be for another two months, though. Yeah, and so basically they had this big all Dragon Ball all the time issue. Well, more so than usual since 
well over half the magazine is still <laughs> Dragon Ball. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, we got Neko Majin got Iru. We had a bonus SD chapter with Majin Buu stuff. Um, Toyotaro had something in there. With uh, Victory Mission. And yeah. All this Dragon Ball stuff. And so like, oh, all right, Toriyama, we're going to have this amazing special blowout issue with Dragon Ball. Contribute something for us. And so this four panel comic is Toriyama basically saying, that's a great idea. Oh, I have to do something. Oh, you're telling me other people are going to do it? That's great. The end. Yes. <laughs> so he drew this comic instead. I love about it. How, about how he procrastinated so long that he didn't have to do anything. Oh, Don't you a, love I it? I mean, he literally says this miracle is quite a lucrative, which he crosses out and then says, welcome one. The fact that Dragon Ball is still going. Like, he's so self-aware here. Not only the status of Dragon Ball, but also his own contribution to the magazine. Like, it's just spot on. Yes. So it's really funny. Now, Toriyama has a long history of, I want to say, autobiographical comics. Yeah. It goes way back to Dr. Slump. He insert himself into chapters in order to get plots moving or to just simply interact with the characters, host Q&As and that sort of thing. And he carried that over into the little bonus things in the individual volumes. So he had things like, this is how I draw Dr. Slump. And an ongoing right, series, right. which he called Me Back Then, which talked about his uh, childhood. And then when he got to his short works collections in the first volume, he had Me Back When I Was Drawing This, talking about the circumstances that he drew certain comics under. And the second volume he had, This Is How I Became a Cartoonist. And he revived it very briefly for like volume 11, I think, of Dragon Ball, before putting it by the wayside for a good eight years, and then in volume, not volume, but in the Daizenshu, the bonus pamphlets for the Shenlong Times, he brought back Me These Days, and where he talks about his recent circumstances. And he's done little bits and things like this. There was one in 1996, number 13 of Weekly Shonen Jump, which we will also be putting up in the near yep. future. Hoping to do that this week. Where he talks about the fact that he's not drawing the series anymore and also the GT is coming soon. So look for that. It's always funny because he's so self-deprecating and just always managed to be so spot on with his own character. He always presents himself the same unassuming, good-humored, but self-deprecating person. And he always put, portrays himself as a lazy bum. Now, someone on Twitter was asking, do we have uh, any of this stuff up on the site? It looks like we have Shenlong Times 1 through 4 up. I'm looking at 4 right now. Heath did yes. an amazing job formatting this. Like So you actually see the manuscript paper and the pen and the ink. Um, it's so well done. Heath is just a master of design on our site for all our pages. So um, yes. that's all there. Julian, it's all translated, right? So we just got to go through. Yes, and... you just got to put it up. Like I've been bugging you about for the past couple of years. Yeah, yeah, well, you know what? Stuff comes up, like new series and things happen. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. So uh, Me Lately was kind of the uh, the latest follow-up to this long series of Toriyama talking about himself. So it's just him being him. And it's funny. I think the lo most recent thing that he's had was like a short comic in the 30th anniversary book where he's just talking about using Frieza and Vegeta. Even that I, I was amused by. Man, we really got to get back to that book. And I feel like yeah. I didn't forget about it. I mean, there are so many interviews in that yes. book. Can, can I have hits 
power to pause time so I have time to translate. <laughs> I know. We'll get to it. There's so many things in progress. I mean, Jake's tackling other stuff as well. I feel like every time one of the two of you finishes something, I send you two more things to do. Pretty um, much. And that's how things that you translated two or three years ago only get posted now because we just keep adding to the pile. But doing our best. Well, Julian, let's bring it to a close because um, there are more things in the hopper. And if we talk about those, well, that's a waste of another podcast episode. So thanks, dude. It's uh, good uh, to have you back on the show. I know it's uh, been a while since you've been around here talking into our ears. It's always a pleasure. It is indeed. I wish I could do this more often. But if I'm hey, me too. <laughs> on the show, it means I'm probably passed out with right. my children. Well, let's go do that because I know it's it's past your bedtime. It's approaching my bedtime. Yes, I got to go to the gym bright and early. Oh, morning. Uh, see, I'm after work. I would much prefer in the morning, though. Yeah, well... I got to get up like at dawn so I actually have time to do it, but I'm well, doing that's, it. That's me just to get to work. So whatever. Right. The perils of adult life. All right. So that is Julian. We got Jake. We got Heath. My name is Mike. We are Kanzenshu, www.kanzenshuu.com. This has been episode 401 of our podcast as we approach. No. As we have passed the fourth anniversary of Konzenshu as an entity, and we are well, well, well into our, not well into, it was 18th year of the site. When did I start? 1998. So, yeah, this is 18 years of working on this stuff here. It's horrifying. I know I say yeah. this every so often, but whatever. Right. Sometimes the weight of time looms over me. Um, all right. So, we talked about the website, we talked about the podcast. Podcast is, uh, Attempted on a weekly basis. Sometimes it doesn't always happen. Sometimes right. we get sidelined with other site content and then we mine it for a podcast and everyone's happy. So check out the site, check out all the social media. I already said site, all the people. So Julian, you get the honor. Bring the episode. This is 401 to a close. Yes. Thank you for listening to another episode of Konzenshu the podcast. Catch us next time. I know I've the before we talk about that site con, bleh, got its uh third major update patch or is it fourth at this point? I actually have lost. I think it's the fourth major remember. update. Uh, I'll take your word for it. Tag, extreme, butodent, extreme button. Wait, that's not, <laughs> that's not it. I love how the website is our cheat sheet. It is. We know we've done the research. We just have to look at it.